everyone wants to stay on trend, right? Tailwind's 2022 design trends for social media include font pairings, color palettes, and motifs, all available for use inside of Tailwind. Use the report that I'm linking inside of the show notes to help you navigate your social media and keep your social posts looking so fresh. I use Tailwind to keep my Pinterest on point, and so can you. You can also use it to design inside of Tailwind and schedule social media for your social media platforms. Head on over to the show notes to check out Tailwind's 2022 design trends for social media. This is the Sweet Bites with Sandra podcast. Do you know what your brand's signature style is? Well, I got you covered. Take the 60 second style quiz on our website at collegeofstyle.com forward slash style dash quiz. Once you're done, you'll get a breakdown of who your style icon is, a very cool discount code on working with me and College of Style to help bring out what your signature style is and make it work for you. So visit our website today at collegeofstyle.com forward slash style dash quiz to take the quiz now. You're listening to Sweet Bites with Sandra with your host, Dr. Sandra Colton-Medici. Follow on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Dr. Sandra Colton-Medici. You can listen to select episodes of the podcast live on Fireside and learn about upcoming course announcements, coaching programs, working one-on-one with Sandra, and new template releases by visiting collegeofstyle.com. Find digital marketing strategies and social media updates on Sandra's Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash college of style. Join Sandra on TikTok, Pinterest, and Twitter at College of Style and subscribe today to Sandra's newsletter. It's called Link in Bio and you can find it on LinkedIn to learn more about links that make you click. This is your personal invitation to join Sandra's community at collegeofstylecommunity.com today. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'd like to invite you to subscribe and listen to my new podcast, Sweet Pipes with Sandra. Satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth in each episode full of digital business tips, inspiring interviews, asides from my entertainment career, and rewards to celebrate your sweet success. Find Sweet Bites with Sandra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for joining us on episode 77 of the Sweet Bites with Sandra podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Colton-Medici, and today I have a very, very cool conversation coming up for you in the interview. I'm speaking today with my guest, Albert Thompson, the Managing Director of Innovation at Walton Isaacson. With over 20 years of communication experience, which includes rethinking and redefining the go-to market approach for the likes of Lexus, the NYPD, Spalding, HBO, the LA Sparks, Game Show Network, and Verizon Wireless, to just name a few. He has so much knowledge to give, and we are talking about delivering business outcomes and leveraging consumer insights in 2022. You do not want to miss this interview, so stay tuned. I'm so excited to announce that the Style to the Nines group coaching program will open the beta group on May 1st. Yes, May 1st. Sign up for my newsletter at collegeofstyle.com forward slash newsletter to get first access to the program at a significantly discounted investment of $300 for the six-week program. It has been created to give you design plus strategy instruction to build, nurture, and grow your social media presence. 
program begins the week of June 1st, so sign up right now for the newsletter to get first access to Styled to the Nines. Are you waking up to a new Twitter owner? (laughs) If you haven't heard the news, Elon Musk purchased Twitter. Now, obviously, that's not exactly final yet, but I do think that some of the things that people have always been talking about with social media are right in the forefront once again, and that is the idea of getting the people that are your audience and taking them off of social media because you never know when they're gonna disappear. Some people may like the new ownership and stick around. Some new people might join Twitter just because of the new ownership. And some people might decide that they do not wanna be part of that social media platform. So just know that the initial number one priority of having these audience members, these viewers, these followers on social media is to gain their attention enough to pull them off of social media onto your own platforms whether that's your website, your checkout card, your blog, wherever that is, so that you can communicate them without the need of a third-party platform. So no matter who is the owner of a social media platform, you know that you can communicate with your followers. Have you ever felt like you keep saying, um, I can't hear you, or the voice quality is really bad during your online meeting? Well, Take a look at Iris Clarity by AppSumo. It's hard to stick to an agenda of your remote meetings when participants can barely hear each other, right? So let online conversations flow with AI-powered voice isolation with Iris Clarity by AppSumo. Check the show notes for a link on how you can get it today. I have two announcements for you on this episode of the Sweet Bites Sounder podcast. Number one, there are only a few more days before registration opens on May 1st for the Style to the Nines group coaching program. It is a six-week program with me where you are going to be learning how to up-level your online presence for social media with design tips and also strategic communication because your messaging matters and you don't want to be like everybody else. So make sure to go to https colon forward slash forward slash collegeofstyle.link forward slash nines to register on May 1st. It is a reduced program investment of $300 because this is the beta program launch, which means you are going to get way more personal interaction in this group coaching program than you will in a ton of other ones because I want to see you have results for your business. And that means on your group coaching session calls, I'm going to be answering your questions in real time. You are going to get daily email motivators and weekly instructional videos so that you are prepared to get your business to the next level online and have your presence really felt by your followers and attracting new eyeballs on your profile. It is important to always stay in the know and ready with content that is going to stop the scroll. So register on May 1st for Styled to the Nines. It's only $300 for this beta program launch, and that means the next time I launch this program, it will be more expensive. So get in right now so you can take advantage of all of the greatness that will be inside of this program for the beta launch of Styled to the Nines. 
My second announcement is that I have a brand new LinkedIn group and I have never started a group on LinkedIn. So this is really a brand new area for me. I'm all about community building and we do have an offline community at www.collegeofstylecommunity.com. But I thought, you know what? I know that they are pushing a lot of different levers at LinkedIn and I wanna see exactly how this works so that I can bring you more information about what's working and what's not working on LinkedIn groups. So join us on our new LinkedIn group. Head on over to the show notes so that you can click on the link to join today. Is your business not connecting or converting your followers online? Book your brand audit today by visiting collegeofstyle.link forward slash brand audit. I look forward to working with you to move the needle on your business and jumpstart your 2022 with strategic messaging and up-leveled visual branding. Click the link and I'll talk to you soon. Today we're going to be talking about delivering business outcomes and leveraging consumer insights in 2022. My very special guest today is Albert Thompson, and he is the Managing Director for Digital at Walton Isaacson. Going into your background, I wanted to um, walk people through what you do on a daily basis, and you have tons of experience you know, going back 20 years in communication, so I know you've got tons to talk about, but if you wanna give us just a little bit of what your day-to-day is with Walton Isaacson and what you do as a managing director for them, that would uh, be good to start us off. Absolutely, so I mean, look, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. First and foremost, always a pleasure. Uh, You know, I've I've been in digital pretty much my entire career, minus six months. So, uh, you know, I've been a a lifer, kind of an OG in this business, as they would say. So I've watched most of the stuff Digitally speaking, on the internet, as I say, give birth. So I wasn't around when most of these things, you know, probably weren't even a patent filing or even uh, the, the on the precipice of, of sending in paperwork to become an S corp or whatever configuration. So I've watched social give birth. I watched the search ecosystem form. I've watched uh, the blogosphere morphing to influencers. I've watched. Uh, uh, I mean, pretty much you name it. You know, I watched the term programmatic come into fruition. So you know. My sort of knowledge base is I end up being a historian because a lot of people ask me, well, why is that? How did we get here? So that's very much what I've been, digitally speaking. Now, at the end of the day, I always tell people I'm a marketer. That's why I went to grad school. I knew I wanted to do advertising all the way in high school, so I was obviously forced to be pretty self-direct early on. But I'm, a, I'm more of a marketer's marketer. I've just been the digital guy, as they say, for the past two decades. So that's why a lot of my spiel pitch comes from a consumer-first lens. I think I learned early on in much of what I do with Walt Nison is that clients need to leverage technology to solve business problems. So it's not just about technology for the sake of, it's not about just running digital media for the sake of, they have problems to solve for which technology becomes a conduit, a means of accelerating that, breaking the ground, et cetera. So that's really always been my sort of lens, but at the, at the, at the heart of it is people, it's consumers. You know, the machines are only as good as people who program them in and I say that all the time. So for Walton Isaacson, you know, I was, I've been the sort of digital lead, chief brain trust, helped on board a lot of clients to, you know, some of the foundational stuff we, you can see digitally to, you know, talking about obviously things like the metaverse and NFTs. But, you know, beyond being a tactician, you know, I've always been a director level by trade, meaning I'm very hands-on and immersed in the work. I've also been the, the sort of thought leadership voice in terms of why things will matter and may matter more than others, not only in the present day, but 
in, in the context of sort of future proofing the business. So I know that was a bit of a preamble, but I guess when you got two decades, no introduction is really short. So without further ado, I'll let you get into it. <laughs> well, so yes, as far as your background, you highlight in your in your bio that you are a segmentation specialist and I had never really heard of that before but it really helps to when you're looking at your business and moving forward with different campaigns to really know who you're talking to and segmenting your um, your audience is a big part of that you know doing the breakdown of your customer personas and things like that a lot of people that I come across with small businesses have no idea that they don't know who they're talking to so when we think about right so when we think about insights and um, the available data that is out there today versus like what you said you've been around doing this for two decades the data is there I think in a more condensed version than what we probably were used to actually going out and actually talking to people directly doing you know one-on-one -on -one surveys versus just actually looking at the social insights that you have on your dashboard on like I don't know tailwind or you know um, sprout social or something like that so what are some of the things that when you're thinking about how to take those insights and make them not just something that we're going to look at and like uh I guess, tell the story in an infographic way, but actually take them and move them into an actionable step for businesses to act on them. I think there's a fallacy when people say we're, we're, we're a national brand or national advertiser. And it's like, no, you're really a local brand with a national footprint, meaning most businesses transacted within five miles of a location of a point of sale. I mean, you look at grocery stores, big box retailers, drug stores, I mean, you name it, your common restaurants, that's what that's how they make their money. The question is, do you have a national footprint, a local one only, maybe regional, what have you, or select states? And the same thing goes from a consumer mindset. It's like, no, you don't have a national consumer. You have a series of consumer segments that stitch together and bundle together, whether it's product category, product verticals, uh, constitute your sort of uh, national framework footprint. But at the end of the day, Everyone is in the segmentation business because there is no one monolithic version of a consumer. I mean, look, if you're selling something as ubiquitous as bottled water or potato chips, maybe you can get away with sort of the, the, the deep entrenched sort of national overlay. But there's still regionality and, and differences between who prefers what kind of chips or what kind of water. So the idea is that, you know, look, I'm, I'm of the mindset that a, the, the consumer is the only one guaranteed to win. Everyone else in this business can lose. Supply chain, shipping, distributor, retailer, wholesaler, direct consumer, they can all lose, but the consumer at the end of the day is always going to win. So you have to start to think about where the consumer is, is segmented by different profiles, different uh, taste and tone, sensibility, ethnicity, uh, as I said, you know, regional sort of preferences, uh, cultural biases, biases of how they were raised. I mean, it's quite messy. And considering there's so many things a consumer would never declare that's in their head related to why they buy what they buy, you have to start to break them down into pieces, i.e. segments, to essentially do that. Now, it's been a little easier for me because a lot of my career I've done multicultural, which is clearly looked at as a, a pretty large segmentation strategy. But I've never heard a consumer package good not itemize different personas. And again, personas is the idea of segmentation as well. So, I mean, look, there are a series of ways to split a broader consumer body. But if but the idea is if you're not in the segmentation business, then how effectively are you really in the marketing business? Because no one's getting away with a one-approach 
to all indefinitely and going to continue to make and hit revenue and profitability goals. Right. Well, so when you are consulting with different businesses, because you've worked with, you know, large businesses like, you know, and I call it a business because it's schools, um, but like universities and and also um, as far as like giving your opinion at different like events like University of Maryland and I'm looking at your bio NYU, which I absolutely love, um, but also giving your perspective to clients like Time Warner and Colgate and Burger King and people who have the data to kind of just go it alone, right? So what when they bring you in, what are they asking you to do? That's very interesting because, you know, I think every client is on a different aspect of the spectrum in their understanding of segmentation. And look, some of these brands uh, have very advanced segmentation strategies of, you know, PepsiCo is, is one of them. And again, given how large the corporation is, all the different subdivisions, and look, you could take many series of business units, and they have robust amounts of information. And look, they get in a very new 100, 200 pages of consumer research. I mean, they spend the money to understand the consumer. I always say with them, it's the little data. It's not the 80% of the already know. It's the 20% or, you know, 10, 15% that they didn't know that becomes a, somewhat of a game changer or a point of pivot. And a lot of it is you have to figure out how you get to that. So you see this huge push towards real-time insights, you know, companies that can mine information, you know, very quickly. And it doesn't matter if it's through social, through influencers. And there's a series of players in the world from, you know, your Juliuses to your, your Meltwater Social, uh, companies like Apinio, they can get you a quick read on marketplace dynamics as it shifts. Because the challenge is brands have to move at the speed of the consumer, and most of them just do not. And most of them don't understand necessarily inherently what that means because organizations have a pace they move at. And then there's a the pace of the constituents internally, you know, the heads of marketing, directors of marketing, brand managers. And then there's a the pace of the consumer, which varies platform by platform, whether you talk about the digital audio universe, the CTV, OGT universe the social universe, et cetera, et cetera, the creator universe. Um, so when you start to get into what that data means, first of all, you have to understand some of their data isn't captured at the speed of the consumer, meaning it's research from 2021. Now, granted, we're still at the tail end of Q1, but in Q2, it could be a very different framework, but they're not going to have that same study for a, another year because they do it annually. Right. Well, so how does how does somebody, whether it's a small business or a big business, make that pivot that you're talking about, that, that small pivot that might be a game changer when they're acting on not real-time pivots, but previous data to pivot on that might have already passed their, their business by? Yeah, that's a good question, too. When you start to think about the fact that people are leveraging information that comes in a look-back window that you actually can't pull forward to maybe patterns and trending. And look, sales trending likely is still relevant. I think consumer mindset around preferences, interest in upgrades, uh, product innovations, that's a little bit more fleeting. So there's a difference between looking at, hey, what do we expect sales trending to be in the new year based upon what we saw the previous years because these are our peak months, these are the peaks in seasons. I think that information is still highly reliable. But if you're trying to understand a shift in sentiment based on events taking place or cultural movements or societal shifts those are things you have to get out in front of so what that means is you have to have the duality of the research insight what is more of your empirical research that helps ground the business and how it functions and your more real-time in, uh, research that lets you know well these are things that could be changing that we need to consider from a point of innovation 
And I think you have to operate both sides of the house. And look, I think companies have to really get dialed into their own brand mentality. And when, when I mean my brand mentality, I mean is that, I mean the, the aspect of how they like to operate and do business, because that may be not fully aligned with the mentality of the consumer or how the consumer sees you as a brand. So there's a lot of internal sort of grappling that goes on between who we are as a company, who we are as a department, and who our consumer seizes are and how they're playing in this particular category, in this particular space, and how we need to effectively keep pace. All these companies need to almost manage and have their sort of internal skunk work sort of mindset, that they have to have certain things that they can be very quick and nimble around and be scrappy around, where other things institutionally will never move with that time of real timeness. But you're starting to see organizations realize they have to play in both universes now if they're going to uh, maintain this 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 pursuit of being hyper competitive. Have you seen the new ad for Skims? Oh my goodness! It looks like Kim Kardashian has recruited Tyra Banks, Alessandra Ambrosio, Candice Limpool, and Heidi Klum to be in her new campaign for Skims. Now I know that they have so many really cool items in their portfolio, but one of the ones that you should take a look at is the boyfriend, comfy, perfectly oversized loungewear inspired by your boyfriend's favorite tees and tanks. Click on the link in my show notes to see more. Well, so there's definite dates. And and when I look at things, I think of things in like this or editorial calendar kind of mindset of, you know, I'm thinking ahead of what, you know, what campaigns are coming and things that are already set in place that are never changing, which are national holidays and cultural events, right? So when you think about business outcomes, and people or businesses setting their their specific campaigns around those events. What happens when you know COVID hits, right? And the world kind of turns on its ear, and then you try to get back to some sort of sense of normalcy in planning your businesses, events, campaigns, you know, all of those things. But you can't necessarily look at the insights in the same way. What are your recommendations for people who are now going forward into this 2022-2023 planning of utilizing the insights or throwing them out because they're not going to be the same moving forward because COVID has shifted and things are not necessarily stable. How do you, what do you recommend for that kind of looking forward aspect of planning your business and looking at it from a standpoint of the data may or may not matter? from just recent two to three last years? It's a great question about COVID because this is a topic we've actually talked on before and it's sort of the COVID impact of rewriting the rules or rules of engagement on path to purchase. Most path to purchases, regardless of the category, got disrupted and a lot of them got rewritten. Uh, and why it may be more set, there are a couple of journeys in the configuration. You know, everything is probably at least magnified 2X from people going from seeing it all digital to people happily making their path to purchase all physical, from one physical to digital, digital to physical, and back and forth. So you have to really start to re-examine the path to purchase and the decision-making model based upon, wow, what now with the content category information now exists. And I think a lot of people haven't done that, meaning your old pixel tags that you have from 2020 or 2019 likely obsolete based upon the behaviors of what people are doing. I mean, and I would get that literal in terms of saying tracking tag intel is obsolete because a lot of the, the process got disrupted. You have to also think about with the experiences at retail now between I can walk in, I can 
can do drive through, I can do curbside. I mean, these are behaviors of fulfillment that never even existed that now have to be taken into consideration because now it's an option. And some of these options will essentially never go away. So the path to conversion or even fulfillment around delivery or receipt of the product has now taken on greater dimension and context and that has to be accounted for. You almost need to remap the consumer journey probably in every category, maybe absent pharmaceutical, but when you think of all the other aspects of healthcare, absolutely, because it was kind of going on in this country between the explosion of telehealth and explosion of uh, mental wellness. So that's like a starting point and that's a conversation I've had with clients about how we have to scrub what we knew before to really get into what we now know. When you get into planning, and I use this analogy, we're all, we're all planning like firemen. We have to act like the fire drill could happen tomorrow. So we're constantly going out scenario planning, what, what if this happens, what's our plan B, what's our plan C, what's our plan D? I think COVID, the window dressing came off and how we were very fixed in our mindset around planning and weren't, uh, didn't have the ability to adapt and a lot, a lot of brands got stuck with a bill you know, with, without revenue return. And that doesn't mean if that's a supply chain related expenses, that doesn't mean it means if it's stadium sponsorship contracts and stadiums are empty. Um, but this notion of planning like firemen, we're constantly running out and going through the scenarios of what if as practice so that when it does happen, we can make a pivot. I think that is a new normal that will stay for a definite period of time. And I think we saw recently with everything that's taking uh, place between the Russia, between Russia and the Ukraine, there comes that pivot around, you know, getting away from news content. But, you know, that first dry run of that happened when there was quote-unquote terrorist content uh, running on the internet, particularly on platforms like YouTube proper. So so that's the world we're now sort of operating in. We have to be ready for the fire drill of somebody to pull the fire alarm for real. Right. Well, you mentioned something about working in certain universes, and it, it pulled me into the metaverse conversation <laughs> in my brain. So what exactly do you describe because I always ask people to describe what their vision of the metaverse is because I think a lot of people have uh, different versions of that and how you see businesses playing their part because I watched a, a particular um, video with Gary V the other day and he was talking about the significance of NFTs and yeah. and how it's really about brand brands positioning themselves with nfts not necessarily the nft itself so and not that the metaverse is only and solely nfts but it is kind of the more topic of conversation these days so where do you see the metaverse and your description of what you know, the vision would be and how brands can position themselves to be successful within it so before i would just describe the metaverse i would just kind of back up to a web you know 1.0 2.0 3.0 in a sense that it's like 1D, 2D, 3D between the three versions of the web. So the next generation of Web 3.0 will house many sort of fascinating innovations for which the metaverse is a part of. So when I look at the metaverse as a, let's call it a discipline, I look at or, or vertical, I look at gaming as the parent company. Because technically if you're a gamer, you've kind of operated and played around in the metaverse conceptually. When you start to think about how rich some of those games were like Call of Duty, even the, the sports games like NBA 2K, Madden football. And that's why there's so much at stake with, the, with the gaming as the parent company, as they say, getting it right so the metaverse will get it even better. Uh, I think we are going to, brands going to have to exist in three universes. In real life, on static 2D environments, these are social networks, content web pages, what have you. And then in the 3D realm of the metaverse. So you, you, 
you have to have a strategy for the, the three universes, meaning how do you present in person versus how do you present on your your own domains and maybe on social networks because you have online communities. And then in the 3D world and the metaverse, how are you going to show up there? And look, I think it's, it's not for everyone, the metaverse, but I think for a lot of brands that will allow them to create a new identity, a new dimension that they can't pull off in real life and maybe do certain limitations in the web 2.0 world, in particular across their own websites and own and operated channels. So I think that's how they need to start to look at it is making this transition to that. The other thing is brands need to understand the consumer is going to move between in real life, uh, web 2.0, web 3.0. I mean, they're just, they want to transition between through the, to the same way we go from virtual events to live events. But now we'll add uh, metaverse events to our cadre of things that we tune into. Um, and I think the metaverse becomes a greater bridge because it has semblance of the IRL persona, meaning you can feel someone's presence in the room. You feel like you're looking at them, you're transacting with them uh, almost in a teleportation sort of manner. But you literally have to get on the plane and go see them and all that stuff. You can basically load up the console and be in it in a matter of minutes. So I think it's a bridge between the, the physical and digital world more effectively than Web 2.0 provides because you have that intimacy that the metaverse essentially allows. But I mean, look, most people will tell you we've kind of been in the metaverse in bits and pieces here between the amount we do in gaming, in VR, AR, uh, even some people have rele- brought relevancy to like we're in Zoom. So to a degree, we're, we're in something that is a bit metaverse-esque. So I think it's very much appropriate to say it's here and it's sort of covering more ground and becoming all-encompassing and brands, entities, platform are developing their sort of metaverse identity or play, as you will, while they still throttle the web 2.0 world, which is where most of their operations is, are digitally and where they make most of their money. When I look at NFTs, I look at NFT as a value proposition for brands. Because look, NFTs has to move beyond just art because some of the art isn't worth keeping, it's not worth the money, and it's not even good. It's not even good to look at. The NFT should unlock experiences, so not just art, meaning the art should be be like a key code. It should be a signature piece, but it's the experiences built behind it that are really going to matter, in particular if those experiences pay off in the real world. So let's just say I'm an artist and I offer an NFT and someone loves me that, you know, they, they want to visual graphic identity of me, they'd probably like to be able to turn that graphic identity into a physical canvas art in my room. Um, but the other thing is, I want concert access, so I can actually see you perform in person and or virtually. Uh, maybe there's a meet and greet where I can shake your hand, etc., etc. I think the NFT world is very much about a, a brand proposition that can be unlocked or owned or, or what have you, that has experiences tied to them. Then there's real value and real value for marketers because marketers are always about the experiences. Exactly. Well, so uh, then it becomes how are you measuring those unlocked experiences <laughs> to see what what actually hit and what missed? I know I was actually um, reading about Megan Thee Stallion having a, an, an AR experience in movie theaters coming up this spring. And I told my husband, I said, do I want to be in a public space with, a, you know, with an AR, you know, augmented reality, like a headset on, not knowing <laughs> who's next to me, you know, vibing to make these stallion and, and like, you just never know. Like, I, and he said, I don't want to do that. I'll do that at home, <laughs> you know, so. 
yeah, I, I mean, Which, the thing we have to always remember: some of these, some of these experiences aren't for us. Well, first of all, they'll segment it down to people for which that's their thing. And the one thing about digital, it rewards depth among all else, but it can find the ancillary people for which that is a thing. And look, that could be the five, the, the whole entire five people on the entire planet. <laughs> um, that's that, that's possible. So uh, the other thing is, you know. There are, in that notion of, you know, the user consumer is always going to win. There are people who would totally dig that, totally do that 100%. Uh, maybe those are my kids because they're seniors in high school. So there are certain things they relate to. I don't, and obviously vice versa. Uh, we just try to make it very clear to them. You didn't really invent anything. You guys are just riffing and rebooting stuff we invented from the, from the 80s and 90s. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, so what is next for you? And I know you have tons of stuff on your, on your plate because... I went to a few of your websites here. So what exactly are you tinkering with? Because I feel like marketers are tinkerers in all spaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, I think marketers have to be, you know, they have to hold intellectual curiosity above all else because that leads to discovery above all else. So for me, I'd probably say definitely the world of NFTs and helping brands brand plan around them to be strategic. Uh, definitely, you know, the, the metaverse and all it's encompassing and finding, I don't want to call it baby steps, but with calculated risk ways to sort of inroads into that world with partners that they sort of know what they're doing. So when I start to look at those things, that, those are going to be huge experiences. I think just the broader gaming uh, context is gaming comes above the line because gaming to the outside world is kind of like an iceberg. You know, it only so much seems to be above the surface because it's obviously not regulated like by the public opinion, like Hollywood. There's a tremendous amount beneath the surface. So I think those are other facets. The the rise of influencer marketing from something niche and siloed outside and being pulled into the center of the universe marketing. I think that's one thing you're going to see. Even things like SMS that have been more fringe tactics with the pure play are going to be because there's so so much DTC acumen to it is going to be pulled into the center of the marketing universe so a lot of these things on the fringes are going to come into the fore i think the last thing you'll see is the metaverse is going to require require for the standoff between technology and creative to somewhat dissipate because you couldn't even step through the door without creativity and technology being in lockstep because you'll you'll tap out one way or another very quickly so it's going to be a very interesting year and i think the last thing i probably say is the rise of retail media Retail media is the revenue return form of media. So your Amazons, your Walmarts of the world, uh, the, the people who are in, on the more DSP side, from your in-markets to your shop advisors, your gimbals, um, that are really about direct targeting, direct traffic, direct return. That's the silent beast that's emerging that no one's really talking about because everything else is getting more of the industry buzz. But I think retail media is going to be a huge factor in something to continue with moving forward. Yeah, well, I actually just um, I just saved a reminder because Walmart is doing a live shopping Twitter feed. They did one in November with I think Jason Derulo and a few others, and that I was like, "What live shopping with Walmart?" <laughs> you know, so I mean, they're definitely. I mean, the live shopping thing has kind of come for you know forward in the last year. Um, there's you know some big entities that do it in China, and now. TikTok live shopping is a thing, um, but Walmart doing live shopping on Twitter, I thought was pretty remarkable, so. Yeah, it is, uh, and there's more of that. I mean, I think you were gonna watch, you know, the whole TikTok maybe buy it is everyone's taking a page, studying that, trying to break it down, and they're gonna try to harness a piece of it and pull it into their 
their platform at some level. But I mean, you know, it's like Home Shopping Network QVC on the move. You know, anybody can do it in front of a static studio fix, but when you start talking about an experiential walkthrough, that's what we consumers are. Exactly. So I think we're like, there's a lot more to come in that particular area. Definitely. I really appreciate you. You're quite welcome. Thank you so much. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, make sure to send an email to info at sandracoltamedici.com. Include in the subject line, be a sponsor.